Okay, so we're back in our uh, story of Nehemiah uh, for the past few weeks. Um, we're looking at the story of Nehemiah and the Jewish community who come, came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, uh, to rebuild the, the, the wall. And for the past few weeks, we've been kind of slowly trudging along with them in this story, in this journey. And we've, been, we've looked at a lot of things have gone through in this process. And today's passage, uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, the last section, is where the wall is finally completed. Uh, the day has come, it's completed. And as I said, a lot of things have gone on into this project. Uh, we have noticed, we, have, we remember the story. Um, right from the top of the government, the Persian Empire, the endorsement had come for the people to go back. Like they had come with the support, the funding of the government of the empire, and of course, there's been opposition as well to their work. Uh, as you remember, the, the three names that keep recurring in, the, in this chapter, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, three guys notorious in the story uh, who, had, who kind of embodied the enemies of the Jewish people. So there have been oppositions as well, but for the large part, there's been a collective effort by the community. And we saw that a few chapters back, like the whole community like, came together to work they put different tasks. Some people focus on that section. Another group focus on that section. Uh, we can presume that some people helped in cooking. Some people helped in serving water. Um, so much stuff going on. So much life going on. And there's a, a collective effort. A few weeks back, we also saw that there was some evils. There are some injustice and uh, sins that were in the community. There were people oppressing one another, uh, taking advantage of the poor. And so we even saw that this is not just about building the wall, it's about even kind of cleaning up the house, so to say, all the injustice that was going on. So all of this has gone into the process of building the wall, repairing the wall, wall. and finally we come to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 onwards, and the wall is finally finished. So I'm just going to read through the section uh, that we're going to focus I'll read on the first, uh, first part, Nehemiah 6. 15 to 19. So let me read from the New International Version and you can follow along in your devices or Bible as well. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also, in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and letters from Tobiah came, kept coming to me, to them, sorry. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shekaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Let's uh, read up till that point for the first section. So yes, the wall is finally completed. The wall is up, uh, construction is over, and the enemies saw the construction that is over and they were afraid, as they should be. Because this was a very impressive work that the community had managed. The wall was over, uh, completed. This, Jerusalem had a very impressive wall, wall protecting them. And the enemies looked at this and they were afraid. But I'll be honest with you, when I read this section, this is not the kind of 
um, story. It's not the kind of uh, event that I ex expected from all the build-up, like so much work going on. The reaction that we see here is kind of unexpected. Like, where's the celebration? Where's the, the music and the parties? Like, where's the feasting, right? What does this almost feel like anticlimactic? Like, after all that build-up, it's like, it's, that's it. It's just build while it's over, and it seems uh, that's it. I mean, we saw a lot, uh, something similar maybe in my mind. It's influenced by what happened yesterday with the coronation of the king. Uh, where's all that pageantry and fanfare? Like, where's the wall is over, right? Um, you, you almost expect that. And to be sure, um, even though it's not recorded here, I'm pretty sure that this was a time of jubilation, a time of joy. Uh, the people must have been celebrating, uh, but they can't help it. As a matter of fact, there were things that demanded their attention. Uh, there were uh, concerns, there were problems that, they, that confronted them. In fact, the way that Nehemiah tells the story in verse 16, he's, uh, instead of talking about the community, he talks about the enemies, um, focus on the gaze of the enemy, so to say. And this, of course, conveys the message that there was a, a, a sense of conflict, a sense of tension in the air, even though the wall was completed. I was thinking, it's almost like um, welcoming a newborn baby. Uh, and uh, I remember that like, there's a lot of buildup, like a lot of collaboration. Of course, to be fair, the, most of the work is done by the, by the mother, but there's a lot of collaborative work with the doctors and there's preparation, there's shopping to be done, there's like browsing internet. And the baby is born and finally the baby is born. There's cause for celebration, but the parents are consumed by the immediate need, like the responsibility to to survive, right? And the, the daunting, and to be honest, the, the scary task of taking care of this new fragile baby. And the focus is on survival, <laughs> to sleep, to eat, to survive, and to have a semblance of order in, in the household. And I, I feel like that's the kind of sense that we get here. Like there's a build-up to the building of the wall, and it's over, but their concerns are directed elsewhere, not on the celebration. Celebrations will come later. So let's focus in on these concerns, the troubles that uh, plagued the people. What were some of the concerns? Um, the, the completion of the wall is overshadowed by threats and by rumors and concerns and dangers for the people. This is where we meet again our, uh, our um, infamous friends Sanbalat, Tobia and Noble. Specifically here in this section, we focus on Tobia or Tobiah. We note here that Tobiah is uh, friends with the nobles, the ruling uh, group of people. And you might remember, I mentioned this a few weeks back, when, um, when Jerusalem was uh, um, dis destroyed, there were a lot of people who came in and took opportunity of that power gap and they became rich. They started oppressing the poor and they got richer and richer. And these were the nobles. Tob Tobiah was friends with these nobles. Uh, the nobles of Judah who had power and who had influence. And they had a lot of things to lose if Jerusalem is restored back. Uh, they were representative of the ruling class and they, they had a lot of things to lose. So they wanted Tobiah to make sure that they don't lose, they don't, they don't have any loss in this, uh, in this event. We also saw that Tobiah had agents within the community of uh, the Jews. Uh, he had friends within the community who, were, who, were, who kept going to Nehemiah and bugging him, saying, you know what, he's a good guy. Like, uh, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't put into trouble with him. He's a good guy. He's been good to us. Um, and so he, he, Tobiah had agents, his friends within the community who were uh, almost nagging Nehemiah 
to, to listen to him, to listen to what he's saying, to the threats that he's saying. Tobiah is a good guy, they said. Uh, we should be in the good books with him. Uh, he's going to be useful for us later. And in, in the sly, Tobiah kept sending these letters to intimidate, um, uh, to intimidate Nehemiah. Uh, just classic tactic, right? Uh, on, the, on the surface, he looks like a good guy. He's acting like the good guy, but under the surface, he's sending these threats and intimidating uh, letters to, uh, to Nehemiah. Almost as if to say, this is the way it has been done. Why don't you just adjust? Why don't you just profit, make profit, just like everybody else? Why don't you just uh, stay within the lines and uh, profit with the rest of us? There was the trouble, the, the threat, and the concerns that the people were facing by uh, threats from outside, threats from within. Nehemiah's response, we note, as we read on in chapter 7, is... Uh, it's quite instructive for us as well. And I think there are a few things that we can learn in our own example as well. So I'm just going to read Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 1 onward 2. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it and the houses had not yet been built. How did Nehemiah respond to these this troubles and the, the crisis? First of all, he did not give in to the propaganda. He did not listen to Tobiah and the threats. He stood his ground. He believed in what uh, he believed in. He believed in his faith. Secondly, he doubled down on the security. Uh, he sent people to guard the citadel, uh, to stand in guard, the gatekeepers. He made sure that the secure, the, uh, there were people standing in guard and making sure that there were, uh, there were no dangers in the place. And we note that he took very serious steps. Um, and the extent of this action shows how seriously he took the situation. He did not take it lightly. He did not take the threats lightly. He took it very seriously and to the point that uh, he's not even focusing about celebrating. He's focusing on making sure that the walls are secure. So he the extent of action that he took shows how seriously he took the situation and he dealt with the tension. And of course, fourthly, we see that he committed the concern to God in prayer. And we see this in verse 14. He prayed to God to remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to the things that they have done. He committed this to God in prayer. So he responded by not listening to the threats and to not being intimidated by the threats. He took serious actions and he committed these concerns to God. So the gate remained closed. The, the wall is done. Everything is done. It should be a time of festivity, but the gate remains closed. There's danger of attack. There's danger of, um, um, of people. Uh, uh, there's dangers all around them. So they make sure that they're guarded and they're alert. Um, and despite the fact that this is a moment of celebration, they remained on high alert. I think this speaks about 
an important element that really uh, that really uh, encouraged me this week. Uh, I think the Jewish exiles understood the meaning of precarity, like to be to live in precarity, to live in danger, to live in troubles, and to have their hopes broken. Uh, we know that the, the Jewish exiles uh, were taken off by uh, Babylon, and then they were under the Persian. They were living uh, scattered lives in exiles. They knew what it meant to have a life of precarity, a life of danger. And the, the, the reason why this spoke to me very specifically this week was because, as Jenny prayed earlier, uh, and the, the, something happened in Manipur last week, uh, uh, a horrible uh, incident of, uh, I've shared this in, some, in the WhatsApp group as well, uh, it's a re- really stunning event that happened. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a long story, but uh, uh, where lives are put in danger, 15,000 plus at this point, have been displaced from their homes, their house, their property, everything has been burned. And of course, there's a long history of uh, ethnic tensions and political tensions under this, but the fact remains that people's lives have been disrupted to an extent that will never be repaired, I think, uh, in, in one generation. Um, and I, I just want to give, I could talk about many of that, but I, I would spare the details. Just want to give a small case example in how, uh, what that came to your mind when I thought about precarity and the Jewish people living in such a situation of danger. Um, some of my friends in, 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 in Imphal, in the hill, uh, capital, uh, the capital of Imphal, they've been working hard to establish some sort of, um, some sort of uh, NGOs, and uh, specifically one group that, um, that focuses on training young people, uh, students who don't have access to proper, edu- uh, proper education, students, who, who are struggling in school, they train them, they give tuition, uh, special tutorials to them, help them to write papers, help them to write proposals so that they can, they can go out into different universities in India and even abroad. Um, so th- there's groups like that that are happening, that's happening. And it just came to my mind when all of this madness was happening is that all of that work, all of that years of building that dream, building that uh, building community, building security and solidarity and support for young people, for young people who dare to dream, all of that is just like gone in, in a moment, you know. Uh, the buildings are gone, forget about the buildings, their lives are scarred and they're traumatized for uh, probably a lifetime. And now there's no hope for them to just go back and restart because uh, all of that is completely uh, wiped out uh, at the moment uh, from the landscape. There's no norm- return to normalcy, they cannot go back and uh, wake up from a dream or nightmare and have tea and, uh, you know, like get back to working on that project of restoration, restoring the community. Um, There's no return to that. Uh, And so it really hit me when I realized that the Jewish people were, uh, have experienced this kind of precarity. They have experienced the kind of loss and exile. And I think there's a rich sense of uh, connection, that um, identification that uh, the people who go through these experiences can have with the Jewish community. And that is what they were going through. They have known what it means to live in danger, and they were in high alert at the moment. Of course, that is, in a way, my own experience as well. Uh, I grew up in a place where uh, there are guns, and the military flexing their power in the streets, roaming around with guns and, and heavy machinery. Uh, and so when all this happened in the news, and uh, part of my mind was like, okay, it's going to start all over again. Like it's gonna, this almost a lethargy, almost a numbness to all of this that's happening, and that's just me who 
grew up most of my adult life outside the state of Manipur. Uh, for people who are living in Manipur for their whole life, that's of course another story. The reason why I share this is because, uh, of, first of all, it's because that's in my mind as I prepare the sermon. But also it's because it, I think it helps us to locate the, the experience of precarity, experience of danger and threats uh, by the Jewish community uh, in, in this moment. And so when Nehemiah says, go and guard that citadel, make sure that the guards are standing, it's not a matter of logistics, it's a matter of survival. It's a matter of let's make sure that uh, these things don't, the thing that we have worked so hard in building does not collapse all over again. Of course, the danger in telling these kind of stories is that um, there's, there's a tendency to think that these are things happening out there in Manipur or out there in Sudan, out there in Ukraine. Um, um, and it's something that's happening out there, removed from us. Of course, in one sense, we thank God for the safety that we have in our, in our lives here. Uh, we, we, uh, we can go about in our daily lives and we really must thank God for that. Uh, we, we should not take that lightly. Um, um, so we, we do thank God for that. Uh, but also, in, in another sense, um, the, the, message, the, so, the message on social media that came out from this event uh, last week has been overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly has been something like this, something along the lines of this. This happened to us. It can happen to any of you. This happened to us, and we thought a few days back, we thought our lives were stable. We were doing our businesses. We were doing our work, and it was all working well and one moment and then it's gone like all the property is gone back in, in, in our place I don't know how it is now how it is here but back in the place we, back in our place we just say that land land is the most stable asset money can come and go gold can be stolen land is the most stable asset we used to say that but even land has been taken away from people you know so the most stable thing that people had could have their hope on um, even that is not at the end of the day stable uh, after all it's a bit glum <laughs> as a thing to, to be thinking about, but I think the text also challenges us to think about, um, think about what we want to base our life on. What is the foundation that we want to put, commit our life on? Right? What do we, in other words, what do we put, want to put our trust in? What do we want to put our faith in? Um, and, uh, and two things that emerge out of the story of Nehemiah is that he trusted in God. He put his faith in God. And secondly, we saw that he acted in faith, action out of faith. So firstly, we see that Nehemiah trusted in God. He gave the credit to God for finishing the wall in, in verse uh, 15. The enemy saw and they knew that it was with the help of God that the wall was completed. God was the ultimate foundation. Um, credit was due only to God. It was only God that made this possible. It was only God who is the source and the shelter in the times of precarity, in the times of trouble. Nothing else, nothing else can be a stable uh, source of uh, um, source and foundation for us. In fact, from the very beginning, from Nehemiah chapter 1, we saw that Nehemiah always considered God to be working ahead of them. He always prayed to God, right? Uh, he always trusted in God. He always spent time in assessing and waiting for things to be clear in prayer. And then he would go to, for example, in chapter 1, he went to the king after praying. In fact, the, the small detail that might, that, that's often easily lost on us is the fact that 
the wall was built in 52 days. 52 days, you know, uh, I just counted back, 52 days ago, it was Mothering Sunday. Like, we still remember that fresh in our mind. Imagine if the, the wall was started 52 days ago, Mothering Day, today is over. So it's a really short time that they were able to finish this project. But we should never forget the fact that Nehemiah prayed for four months. The time between Nehemiah chapter 1 and Nehemiah chapter 2 is a period of four months. He prayed, he assessed, he waited on God, he, he calculated, he trusted in God. For four months, he fasted, he, he prayed to the point that he became to look so, uh, he had lost his charm, let's put it like that. And the king had to ask, what happened to you? You look, you look miserable. So he, he prayed and prepared for four months uh, for something that took less than two months. So he trusted in God. He, for, for Nehemiah, God is a source of security. God is a source of stability. Nehemiah, Nehemiah knew that, so he prayed, he pleaded with God, and he put his trust in God. Also, secondly, we saw that he acted in faith. Action. At a certain point, we have to act. Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah acted. He believed that it was God's work. He believed that it was the right thing to do, so he went about and did what needs to be done. 52 days to fix a problem. By the way, the wall was broken like that for over 100 years. Everybody came and saw that the wall is broken. People walked by and said, ah, oh, this is so sad, the wall is broken. Nobody tr really tried to do anything from what we saw. Nehemiah came and he, he trusted in God. He fixed with the community, of course. He fixed it in 52 days. A problem that the Jewish people had known for 100 years, he fixed it in 52 days. Why? Because it was about action. He, he acted on the faith. Uh, why, did, why was the job not done in 100 years plus? Why, did, uh, why was it that the wall remained broken? It was not that people did not know. People knew. Uh, people came to Jerusalem. They saw, they, they mourned, they lamented. Um, they saw the broken walls and they knew the, the ruined lives that they had. But it, it seemed like no one got past the, the place of just wishing that Jer uh, Jerusalem had walls. On the other hand, Nehemiah acted on that faith. He grieved, he ached, he prayed, he planned, he lamented, he fasted, uh, and finally he, he acted. Yes, we should not also discount the fact that he had the whole community with him doing the work as well. But Nehemiah acted. He prayed for four months and he went and did the work. And together with the community, the work took less than two months to finish. So, Trust in God and act in faith. We must remember that when, when we're living in this life, it's, it's somewhat quite easy to forget and to, to uh, yeah, and every once in a while we have these tragedies that remind us uh, the true basis, the true shelter that is God. Uh, but even without that, uh, we can, we have the scriptures to remind us that God is our shelter. God is our confidence. We have just sung, uh, uh, thanks Hoyan for centering these songs on Jesus because Jesus is uh, what makes this shelter, this confidence real. He is the one who is with us, Emmanuel, the one who made this possible for us because of the cross. God is our shelter and our confidence. So we must wait, we must trust, hope, and we must pray uh, and, and put our faith in God. And in addition to that, we must act in faith. 
uh, we need we need to act on what needs to be done so i just want to end this with a few uh, implications or a few reflections in maybe in our own context as well um, i wonder if there are things even in our lives that we are we are trying to build right uh, or maybe that's there's something that's nagging uh, at the back of the mind of our mind like the jewish community that you know it needs to be done you know, you know it needs we need to work on it uh, it lies crumbled and in need of repair and we somebody needs to step up and do it um, and you know that it's the right thing to do um, maybe it's something something like that is there um, maybe we need to act on that we need to uh, put our action in faith trusting that god will help us in doing that work um, what is it in our in our lives uh, we have actually covered a lot of grounds today in, in, the, in our brief reflection. We have talked about Manipur, we have talked about global issues, uh, we have talked about church, but in our own lives, in our own context, um, are there things that we need to regroup and rebuild uh, together? For Nehemiah and the Jewish community, it was a question of security, of worship to God. It was about community of God and the threats that faced this community. Uh, what about for us? What about for us as a church or for us as families? Right? What are things that we we need to ground uh, our our world in a life of trusting God, uh, not trusting in something else, but trusting in God and putting our confidence in God? What are things that we need to sort out in in that aspect? And and what are some actions actions of faith that we can uh, take in our own lives as well? God is the only foundation that is worth building our lives on and when we act on building that foundation uh, god will honor our faith just like he did to the jewish community and to nehemiah uh, so uh so yeah uh, i want to um invite us to spend some time in prayer um, and I, I wanted to just think of aspects in our, our part in your life, maybe this in your, in your own personal, in your family, in a church, or maybe in your world, in your career. What are areas in which we, we need to trust God more? What are areas in which we need to sort out and prioritize God? And by the way, this is not to push us or to add more to our stress or to add to-do list in our lives. Uh, the Bible tells us that prioritizing God is to free us it is to invite us to a more liberating, uh, a better way to be, to live. And so it's, it's a path of freedom. A path of discipleship is a path of freedom. So I, I want us to think about aspects in our life um, that we need to trust God and put, ground our world in God, trusting in God and acting in faith along that lines. And maybe just spend uh, uh, maybe a, a minute in silence and then I'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that you help us to put our hopes in you. Help us to, um, um, to ground our efforts in building foundation in you and help us to act in faith even when things look precarious and troubling. And we know that you will help us and we will see your help and support in our lives when we trust in you and when we act in faith. Lord, we ask that you will point us to this, the places and the aspects that uh, we need to, um, to bring to you, to uh, submit to you, and we ask that you will 
even in our church as well. Um, and if we, if um, and in other aspects as well, to celebrate the fact that we have our hope and our faith in you, and we can live in confidence in who you are and the promises that you've given to us. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.